With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier, registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, we beat Pitt for the second time in like 15 years week. Yeah. We, uh, we can't has football. Yes. And it, it only took like a very disappointing Pitt team that we've been... Uh, Ragging on all season. Um, that, luckily, we, that we still could have potentially lost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we only hit by three. It wasn't like a definitive like blow. I think it was like probably a little... I, I know the, the numbers don't totally bat this up, at least Bill C's numbers, but I thought it was. It, it felt like more of a decisive win than the score indicated, but it was still a three-point win. But a three-point win or a 30-point win against Pitt, whatever, I don't care. Just get it, and we did, so that was good. Well, to be honest, like this game had like the dumbest bell curve ever. Where it like started off probably on like the high near the highest point. Um, obviously, it would have been at the highest point if we had not you know canceled out. Because to be honest, like that was a touchdown by Ishmael, whatever. Um, so should have started at the highest point. Then this like really deep valley, and then it seemed like every drive after like the second one, we got better and better each drive, and then it like just kind of peaked from the last drive of the second quarter on. And we're seeing a lot of that, I think, throughout the year. That's good in some ways because it shows that once we're on, we're on. But it's bad in others because we do have this, like, large valley. And that's where a lot of teams start to put some distance between them and us. And it puts too much pressure on the defense. Yeah, and, and like you said, that almost seemed to be the case here in the second quarter when Pitt stored those, uh, you know, they, they jumped out ahead a little bit. And I was quite nervous, but uh, luckily... Um, I just think we were overall the better team and were able to hold on, especially with, again, another big third quarter, which uh, seems to be the, the pattern here for us. Uh, and a, a really nice performance by Dungey, who I think uh, pro football folks had as their ACC QB of the week uh, for, what, second time this year? Second or third, maybe? No love from the ACC, but that's not surprising. Yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, actually, like, and there were some other, like, nice indicators. I thought... Obviously, the numbers are still not great, but I thought we ran the ball more effectively than we have. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know 3.2 yards of carry, still not great. Um, the fact that I, I didn't realize Strickland carried the ball 25 times, which is kind of re- remarkable considering like it didn't feel like that. But um, it seemed like we found some things that could at least scrape together like three yards versus like some of the other, I think 3.2 is probably not that far off of what our season average is, but... Those were like, we'd break a big one, or Dungey would pick up a bunch, and then everyone else would be at, like, two, one or two yards. And this, you know, it seemed like if we really needed a couple, like, yards to pick up a first down or something, we could kind of get it. And I don't know what Pitt's, I'm not, you know, that uh, aware of what Pitt's, like, front seven situation is. I know the defense overall is not very good. But the fact that we were finally able to, like, get a mediocre to subpar running game felt good, considering what the rest of the season and what, you know, most of last year was like. Well, I think a lot of it, too, is that, you know, and we mentioned this in some of the articles and on Slack, like, we just weren't running it right up the gut either, I think, which was a big plus. We were, you know, kind of varying things. You know, two weeks ago, we were doing some Devin Butler jet sweeps. Um, That seemed to get, I think, teams a little off the trail of, of, of running it up the gut, I think. In this one, we seemed to do a little more off tackle. I think Strickland did a better job following his blocks. We used Elmore better as a blocker. Um, even if I think he declined as a runner um, in terms of his effectiveness in that game. And and again, like then the fact that that set up um, a really great game from Ravian Pierce, um, you know, getting behind the line, who was sucked in to try to make sure that they weren't giving up three, four-yard chunks at a time to uh, Dante Strickland. Like, 
all that worked together really well and started putting together some semblance of what this offense was supposed to be under Babers to begin with and is only now starting to look like it. Yeah, and I think we're, we're starting to see, you know, maybe a delayed timeline compared to what Babers brought up when he got the job. But, like, it does seem like we are starting to fill in here in the middle of the season and, and we can get, like, a, a pretty, you know, we, we understand what the performance we're going to get on a week-to-week basis from this offense is. Now, that might get totally thrown off this week uh, with Clemson and they're just absolutely nasty, uh... ferocious defense. But, honestly, like... I'm going to struggle to really take a lot away from the Thompson game just because they're so good and they're at a different level than pretty much anyone else will face this year, including NC State, who has a very good defense um, that we, you know, had some success again. I just, I'm going to probably not be able to overreact too much to the Thompson game no matter what because, like, that team on, on defense especially is so good. If they blank us, like, I honestly don't think it's a huge deal. Obviously, I don't want that, and I'll, you know, that it's easy to say now. Maybe when I watch the game on Friday night, I'll be a little more worked up. But um, overall, I think this this game we had to take with, like, a huge grain of salt uh, no matter what happens. Unless, Unless we, we win. win then, yeah. <laughs> if we win, then we can, like, pour all the salt out and just, you know, there will be other salt. Um, it will not be the type that uh, I'm talking about. It will be the Twitter type where someone goes and finds, like, James Slater's house and, like, exit or whatever. Um, but overall, like, I, I don't expect, um, this will probably be a blip in the constant, like, you know, improvement of the offense here. Nonetheless, half the fan base is going to overreact. Oh, I mean, I have no, no doubt about that. They'll overreact no matter what. Like, Syracuse will lose by one, and people will, you know, lose their minds about how, you know, the, the program is heading in the wrong direction. I mean, I know you saw some of the conversations I was, like, involved in. I started muting people during the game because like I mean I'm not going to defend everything that that this team does and I've I've actively criticized week after week certain decision making like issues but overall like it's indisputable that you can see progress on a week-to-week standpoint from a competitive standpoint it's very obvious that like there's a small like the disconnect is at the offensive line and and if that gets fixed 90% of the problems are gone on the offensive end, like, and that's where we're doing our best recruiting. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, so it, to me, like the, the the progress, it might not be perfectly linear, but you're definitely seeing it go up, and especially again w- with a defense that has improved beyond even like what you and I, I know you and I were saying, like a great season would be if we improved to like somewhere around 80th uh, defensively, um, and I, I think we're probably going to finish somewhere around 60th to 70th defensively instead, like. This group, and, and based on the play of a lot of young guys, um, this group has gotten considerably better in just a year. And I know I've mentioned this in the comments and elsewhere too. Like, credit to Brian Ward for, and for Dino Babers for letting Brian Ward really do what he needed to do, for, for understanding that you weren't going to be able to fit a bunch of square pegs into round holes right away. You could take concepts of the Tampa 2, apply them to the concept from the previous regime in, in spurts, and then to help that out, go out and get players who can apply pressure. Um, so I think we're seeing kind of a hybrid Tampa 2, and one that, again, it's not perfect, but it does really, it it bends a whole lot more than it breaks, and that's that's not something most of Scott Schaefer's later defenses could even say. Yeah, I, I think we've gotten, like you said, we, we always said like getting the defense into like the 80s, and, and right now it's hovering around 60s with some numbers that are even better, like the our, like, stop rate and everything else. Um, and honestly, like, if we could start getting more, you know, sacks and big plays, I think we would really see a step up. But for now, I think we, we've improved probably more than either of us would have expected was reasonably possible. Um, and I, I think if not for, uh, you know, one horrible performance in MTS, against MTSU and, you know, the offense maybe not taking the uh, the step, you know, I, I don't know if the offense is worse. I just don't think it's taken quite the step forward we, we, we thought yet. And it might still, because it's early in the year. You know, we're at midseason, roughly. There could still be proven on that end. But overall, like, I think you have to be pretty pleased with where things are going. Like, this is a better team than last year. This is better than... Honestly, like, this team is probably better than the 2013 team that, you know... Oh, it is, without a doubt. ...used a, a pretty advantageous schedule to go to a mediocre bowl, which I would love. I would sign for the Texas Bowl <laughs> in a minute right now. Um, but this is a better team. This is probably better than any of the Schaefer teams. It's better than probably the two non-Bowl Maroon teams. 
It has an identity on both sides of the ball, like you said. Um, it's just, you know, you're, you're, we, we need an insertion of talent. The offensive line is, is a huge issue that is, you know, is being worked on. They looked at our recruiting list. We have uh, one of the three best centers in the country coming in, and he seems rock solid on his commitment, fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever else. Um, so All-American at that. Uh, so, like, I think there are issues, and like you said, me and we both like criticize Babers during games all the time for individual calls, and that's a fair thing to do because when you're watching a football game, like, no coach has perfect games. It just doesn't happen. You're going, if you're a Patriots fan, you can criticize Bill Belichick for, for decisions. That doesn't mean that you are saying that he shouldn't be the coach anymore because he had one, you know, bad uh, stretch of plays or, or you didn't like, like, one key decision. Like, I think Babers has made a number of mistakes throughout these games. It doesn't mean that overall I'm not very happy with where things are going. So people seem to have this, like, weird thing where, you know, you have one bad, you know, series or, or you, there's a, a bad call on a fourth down, a fourth and one, and you think it was a stupid play call, and all of a sudden you want to burn the house down. Like, yo, just step back. We won the game. Um, we're going to, we, we've seen, you know, pretty sizable improvement from year one to year two, even if the record isn't going to end up indicating it because of how tough this schedule is. Uh, we happen to draw Miami, who looks really good, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we had LSU. Uh, like, there's just a lot here that uh, I, I just wish people were better at taking a step back um, because overall I think it's hard to really uh, knock what Babers has done thus far. I think we, we've taken pretty manageable, realistic steps and hopefully this uh, continues to pay off at the end of the year and, and heading into next year. Yeah, I mean, what I do appreciate about Babers is that he's not he's not skipping steps. Like, we added Juco guys. We added Juco guys to fix certain issues and let guys come along behind them. It's – I do see a lot of naysayers on Babers despite, like – do you really think – like, if these people, like – some of them go, I didn't like Scott Schaefer either. Or like, okay, so what do you want? And again, like, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but um, it's indisputable that there's progress. Maybe it's not en- enough for some people, but it should be. And if you've waited this long, you know, 15 years or so, I think you can wait a little bit longer. <laughs> I know I can. Um, one interesting thing, and we've mentioned Bill C's numbers here and there on uh, today's show already. What I found most interesting is that this team really still hasn't performed super well in any games except for the Central Michigan game and the Central Connecticut State game, um, and nonetheless has come really close. Uh, I mean, they obviously beat Pitt, despite performing at an under 50% uh, percentile of of what they could have done. Um, They came within single digits of three separate teams while performing at, you know, sub-40% clips, I believe. Like, even the LSU game, I think, was like 38. I don't have it in front of me, but... I think that was 38, and the NC State game was around, like, 35, something like that. Like, this is That's, a, like, worse, 32 and 28. That, that's what I mean. Like, it, so, so on, the, on the bad side, we have, we have a team performing under what it could. On the other side, though, like, this team is within single digits of ranked opponents while performing well underneath its ceiling. So to me, I, I don't know, I, I guess I see that as a positive, and I see that as a great sign for things going forward, especially given how many young players are on the roster. Yeah, uh, it, just, it just seems like we're, we're in games this year where we might not have been last year. Um, we played NC State and LSU, who are both roughly top 30 programs, probably a little better, honestly. Um, so games that we could have won, uh, even without playing our A game. Like you said, it's not like we're going out and overperforming and dropping these games, like, we are playing about the amount, we were playing about as well as you would imagine we would in losing to NC State by eight points versus, like, going and playing this incredible game and losing to NC State by eight points. So while I would love for our team to match out what they're doing every week, like, that's unrealistic. And, you know, hopefully we get one of those, like, awesome performances down the road where everything clicks like it did for the Virginia Tech game last year and we can we could score one of these unexpected wins. Um, maybe Clemson. Which would, maybe. Not, not Clemson, oh. but, 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 I mean, it, I'm not saying that there's no chance in hell, but there's minimal chance in hell, uh, much less chance than the Virginia Tech game. Um, that said, if SU wants to put together a once-in-a-lifetime performance on Friday, go for it. I'm here for it. I mean, I'd be fine with it. What's it been, 20, 23 years? No, 33 years since Nebraska? So, yes. 
Oh, you were overdue. Yeah, I, I'd say that's fair. Um, I guess a little bit more on... Well, I think it's just the mid-season stuff. Um, Dan, do you feel like 3-3 three and three is about where we were going to be at this point? I, I know I mentioned kind of in my like takeaways post on Sunday, I was saying like... it. I feel like we'd feel differently about this three and three if you swap the Middle Tennessee and Pitt games. But overall, like, yes, we should be four and two, if not better. But I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and, and, and try to claim that like we're we're vastly underperforming where we should because I don't. Again, based on everything I've said so far in this podcast, I don't believe that's true at all. Yeah, I think you could buy four and two. Like we were both lower on Pitt entering the year than most people, but. I think they're worse than we even thought they would be. Yeah. Um, and, again, we kind of uh, stink by, uh, stuck by them. Um, MTSU is a game they should have won. Uh, they should have won considering what's happened since. It was just a really bad performance. They fell on their face that day. There's no real excuse for it. Um, overall, like, otherwise, though, if, if you could have easily talked yourself into winning that game and losing to Pitt because we always lose to Pitt. Uh, and then, yeah, you, you'd probably be about here. Um, I think we both probably felt a little better about Pitt. Um, but at the same time, we, we probably didn't think NC State, I mean, we definitely didn't think NC State was going to be quite this good, and we almost beat them. We lost by a touchdown on the road. So I, I'd say 3-3 three and three to 4-2 and two was the expectation, depending on how optimistic you are, and we are right there. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will never understand what everybody's waiting for, looking for at this point, but it happens. Um, any performances for you, individual player-wise, stick out so far? We guess we could start with the offense, and... and Feel free to avoid the obvious ones. Is there anybody kind of, you know, under the radar that's really impressed you um, at this juncture? Um, I'd say if we're avoiding, like, the normal, like, Ishmael Phillips, obviously I think Steve has probably exceeded our expectations, even though we had pretty high ones. We've had pretty high ones his entire career. Um, considering this last game, I was really excited to see uh, some of these younger guys step up. It was obviously kind of the Devin Butler and Raven Pierce show. They both had breakout games, um, and obviously – you know, Ishmael had a 5-for-97 and a touchdown. He had a great game and, and made some unbelievable plays. But Pearson and Butler combined for, uh, what, 16 catches. Uh, Butler scored that awesome touchdown. Oh, that like, was great. It was, Perfect ball, it was too. Awesome throw, awesome catch. It was really nice to see those guys uh, get involved. Not that Ishmael and Phillips were, were quiet. Like, they both had really nice games themselves. But um, I think it's important that we get more than just those two options uh, going and they both made, you know, pretty big impacts. Pierce, I think, finally avoided having, like, a debilitating foul, uh, penalty called on him, which was, like, a trend on him uh, throughout the entire season. Um, and then he also had his best game as a receiver. Um, Butler uh, obviously showed some game-breaking ability. I think we're all high on him. So those two, especially with this last game, um, coming into account, because before this, like, the running game is kind of hard to, to combat too much, even if it was slightly improved this week. Um and then Ishmael and Phillips are just obvious. So I'm going to go with those two guys, uh, considering where we are uh, coming off the pit game. Fair? Let's see. Um, you went with Ishmael and Phillips. I'm going to go with... Uh, I wish it could be Riley, but like other than that one game, he hasn't really done much. Uh, I mean, special teams, so... Special teams he has, although at the same time, like the team's been kicking away from him for weeks now. Yeah, although that, that, you know, presents its own opportunities where you're starting at, like, the 30 a lot. And the power returns have gotten better um, since the first couple weeks. They have, actually. Um, I'm going to go with somebody. I kind of think it's Butler, to be honest. Like, I know it hasn't been consistent, and we've definitely leaned on, you know, Phillips and Ishmael for a bunch of time, but... I'm willing to give it to Butler because he's been so versatile. I mean, he had... One game where he threw a touchdown pass. He had another game where we were just running him with jet sweeps. We had another one where he was playing in a Phillips-type position. And this one, he was being tried out as a as a deep guy. He, he's he's oddly like our best, I think, jack-of-all-trades. And he, he's just a, a very good athlete and, and a player that we've been able to, you know, insert in a lot of different places. And I think his versatility um, has really paid off this year. Because, again, and, and this is something that, like, has been true since day one this season— uh, we don't have a certifiable deep threat. Um, people might get fooled into thinking that we do after last game, but remember, like, Pitt's safeties are god-awful, and, like, Ishmael abused Maddox all game on Saturday. <laughs> like, that that was not... 
that was not what you're going to see against teams like Clemson. It's not even what you're going to see against teams like Wake Forest. Like, we're not going to get the one-on-one matchups. Like you said, we, we mentioned the ball that Dungy threw to, uh, to Butler. I believe it was about 32, 33-yard touchdown um, in the second half. Like, you're not going to get a whole lot of those. I mean, you saw how late the safety was to breaking um, over to the pass. Like, that was... That wasn't like a once-in-a-lifetime throw, but that was not a throw that you're going to get against the upper echelon of the ACC or any, like, pretty good opponent. It's one you're going to get against a bad team like Pitt, who, again, like even uh, Narduzzi said before the game, he was hoping that SU would attack, uh, you know, Pitt's corners and you know because they're just better athletes than who they had at safety, but it didn't really seem to matter no matter what. Um, but it's, yeah, especially the safeties, I mean, we had them over the top you know, three or four different times. There was that one ball that was almost picked um, that if Dungy had just, and we can talk about this too before halftime, but if Dungy had just put the ball a little bit out ahead, that would have been about a 45, 50-yard touchdown catch for Ishmael. Um, I mentioned this in the play-calling article, but it did seem, and I don't know if you noticed too, that like Dungy just seemed like supremely off in the first like 20 or so throws, and then suddenly something clicked. I don't know what it was. I don't know what he changed, but... Something suddenly clicked, and he was delivering everything on the money. He wasn't he wasn't short. He wasn't high. Everything suddenly seemed like it was crisp. And I again, I'm not sure what the hell was going on for the first twenty or so throws. No, he definitely seemed. I think uh, I tweeted. I think a number of people tweeted about it. He was sailing throws. He was throwing them. He was way off target. Uh, which honestly, like, it was might have been for the best because you know when you're a little bit off target, you might end up throwing right at a defender. Where he was just like. So far off, it, it didn't matter. He was sailing balls out of bounds. Um, Let's put him on the ground, too. We ended up losing out or, yeah. the first down with Irv on that, like, third or fourth drive because Dungy really put bad. yeah Dungy put it on the almost on the ground. Irv caught it, but he caught it still, like, half a yard short of, of the marker. If he delivered it on the chest, and the same goes for um, the, third and, the third and 12 throw um, when we were near the goal line toward the end of the game. Um, if he had put that on Pierce's chest, and this was... This is when I started seeing things go back the other way. If he put that ball on Pierce's chest, Pierce gets the first down and maybe even touchdown. And if if he just throws it normally to Pierce in the last play, Pierce probably gets the first down. But then after that, I think I saw you tweet it. Didn't don't you have like a ridiculous stretch of like completions in a row? Seventeen for eighteen, and okay. the and the only incompletion was a drop. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I was looking now on the ESPN bot store, but as we know, the ESPN bot store can tell you lies and deceit. So that it can. Um, that's really impressive. Yeah, he definitely bounced back, even without like looking at the numbers that closely. Um, but it was rough for a bit, and, and and he has those halves sometimes where he just looks like he's off target, and uh, I, at least he does a nice job of correcting himself because he he doesn't seem to have put together like terrible games. Like occasionally he'll have bad stretches, and, and he'll have stretches where he just is perfect. Um, but he seems to have a good job of like putting away a couple bad drives and turning the corner where other quarterbacks might just bury themselves in a hole and have like a really awful overall game. Well, he does have, and this, this, this is bad for some players, but for him, I don't think so, the irrational confidence thing, where, where Dungy is not, he's not super cocky, but he does have that irrational confidence in himself that, like, leads to every good thing and every, like, not as good thing about Dungy all at once. Yeah, it's where you see him, was it this game where he jumped over the line to gain, like, a yard, even though yeah. it was third and ten or something, and there was no chance of him picking up the first down? It's like, you didn't need to yeah. do that. Yeah, it's like, you just, just, just throw it away, Eric. Um... Yeah, he, like, hurdled a guy for literally no reason and almost broke, like, his own ankles or someone else's. Um, no, yeah, he, it, we always talk about, like, you take the good of the bad with, with, with Dungy, and and I think, for the most part, we get way more good. He's become um, a much smarter runner this year, to be honest. Like, yes, he like has been. Week to week, week to week, he's getting better. Yeah, I feel like it's been, like, two or three weeks since he took, like, a big, sh- unnecessary shot. Now, <laughs> like, occasionally when you're running, like, you will get big hits, even legal ones, and there's only so much you can do. It feels like it's been probably since week two or three that he's taken, like, a really nasty one that had me concerned. I was concerned about the one in the LSU game that he didn't get, that they didn't call, but then they made a makeup call later. They did it in this one, too, a little bit, where he slid, they didn't call it, and then, like, admittedly, he slides late, so, like, I get why they're not calling it, and then, like, a play later or so... They I forgot him. about that one where it looked like he was he was down and they came in with the second guy and I kind of lost my mind. But either way, he, like he got right up. It wasn't like a, a thing where you thought he might be uh, concussed or he might be out. Oh yeah. Uh, 
So definitely getting better at that in that regard, which is nice because that's like obviously been our main concern with Dungeon for three years now. One place he's not getting better, and again, this is not to like just rag on Dungey because to be honest, he's our best offensive player. It's more just the and I, I was talking to people about this in the comments uh, the the free play nonsense, where I feel like just about every free play that Dungey's ever had has been an interception. <laughs> Because like yeah. he, he takes free play to mean like to mean like doesn't matter what happens, no consequences. And then you have like four offsetting penalties, and you're like, oh, maybe this wasn't like the best thing that we could have done with this. Uh, and I'm also uh, a fan of the Green Bay Packers, and Aaron Rodgers is maybe the best free play quarterback ever. Yes, um, 100%. so it's definitely a, a little bit jarring. But yeah, I feel like he's thrown probably three or four interceptions on free plays over the last couple of years. Minimum, like he almost he threw one in this game. The other one went out the back of the end zone, like completely. He had, um, I mean, there was a free play. He did do a good job on the free play to Ishmael, but then that got canceled out. But yeah, I, I can recall three to four just off the top of my head of just plays that he just said, "Nah, eff it," and then like and just launches it up into like a crap like. If you have a check, like, yeah, you should go deep, but if you have a check down open 10, 15 yards down the field while there's, like, if there's four defenders crowded around the receiver you're throwing to, somebody's op- somebody else is open. Yeah, and also, like, and this isn't his fault, but college football refs I don't trust all that much. No. So, like, while you're usually pretty sure that you have a free play because you can see a guy jump, I'm always a little nervous that they called something else. <laughs> he's, he's even banked on it. Like, once he threw an interception, after, like, and he banked on it, and then after it didn't happen, then he just had a pick. I, remember, yeah. I don't remember what game that was. I was furious. <laughs> yeah, you have to be pretty certain. And again, like, I'm spoiled because I watch Rodgers store a lot. I feel like he throws for, like, three or four touchdowns a year yeah. on free plays um, just because he has some weird, like, zen-like uh, knowledge that his receiver is going to get you know, the hot route and go deep on it. But um, mostly Jordy Nelson, because they have, they, they're basically Jedi. Like, right. they just have some weird mind melt. <laughs> um, but Dungey does not quite have that with uh, any of his players yet, and most quarterbacks don't. So, yeah, I, I think there are probably worse thing, worse bad habits, but it does make me nervous, like, almost once every two games at this point. <laughs> Agreed. The one thing I will say, though, and this is kind of related back to his running before we get to halftime, um, the dude really does have, like, Again, him getting better as a runner and smarter as a runner. He has a brass pair sometimes, and that 20-yard run towards the, for- at the end of the fourth quarter was like a prime example of like him just willing himself to a bigger game than he should have had by any means. Yeah, and thank God for it because he's, like again, still our only consistent running game. And if not for Dungy being able to pick up, like, six yards of carry when he breaks contain, we would have very little uh, reason for defenses to keep to, to stay honest. So um, he is, like, obviously Ishmael's amazing and Phillips is great. Uh, Dungy is so important to this team. And, and while, like, there are criticisms as we've laid out, um, he's just, like, this team would be absolutely buried on offense without him. And... Uh, we're, we're very lucky to have him because he is, is the best quarterback we've had in a long time. And, uh, well, like, I look forward to seeing where his numbers are at the end of the year because, like, right now he's on pace for, like, 35 total touchdowns and probably roughly 4,000 total yards. So it, it, he's putting uh, putting together quite the campaign, and hopefully he starts to get a little more national recognition because he's a super fun player to watch. And I feel like he gets, a, he gets some from, like, some of the national people, but it's easy to ignore Syracuse, and hopefully we get to a place where, you know, next year, uh, if we hopefully start to peak and, and, and contend for bowls and whatnot, he uh, gets some looks because he's, you know, really one of the fun, one of the most fun players, even if, you know, there's uh, a dozen or two better quarterbacks in the country. Like, yeah, that's I the think, thing. It, it's, it's the fun factor with him that, like, he's just an entertaining player to watch because he enjoys what he's doing. And he, he again, he, he's, he's getting smarter on the fearless front. But, like, He's a fun player to watch, and anyone who's watched one Syracuse game could tell you that. It's just interesting how, like, you see these fun quarterbacks at places like Utah State and elsewhere in the last few years that, like, people gravitate towards and know about. But, like, Dungy, I feel like there's not a whole lot of folks with him on their radars. Um, and, and that's weird, especially given, like, there are a decent amount of alums at ESPN and other outlets. Like, you would think that there'd be, like, David Hale talks about him, also an alum, but, like, 
there's very few people like openly talking about Dungey on a week to week or every other week basis. Yeah, it, 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 it's unfortunate because he, uh, I think he definitely deserves better. Um, hopefully next year, entering his senior year, uh, you know, assuming he is still at Syracuse, I don't, I don't really know why he wouldn't be considering how the season's gone, but just assuming he's still here, um, hopefully then he'll start to get some plaudits, like, you know, some of those lesser school quarterbacks that we've, that you, you know, I think you were hitting at Chucky Keaton, who was at Utah State and got hurt pretty much every year. A weird, a weird comp for Dungy, like a weirdly <laughs> accurate comp for Dungy so far, unfortunately. Um, but, like he was a lot like he, similar player where fearless puts together crazy numbers kind of carries the offense on his shoulders um so yeah uh hopefully at the end of this year we'll we'll kind of beget that going into 2018 yes please um dan let's do a little halftime before we uh, jump into the uh, the rest of this sounds good um i am actually going to have to like sit out on halftime because i was you know fighting off a cold that i was dealing with this time last week so i really didn't drink much of anything uh, I, I had some drinks, but I don't think I had anything new on the beer front, so I'm, I'm leaving the floor to you. Fair enough. I didn't have much to drink either. So. <laughs> Good halftime, everyone. Yeah. I, <laughs> I did go down to... Uh, my wife was out of town, so when she was out of town, I really didn't do much but watch college football and save my drinking until after I'm done writing. Uh, I got a growler of um, a Monkish double IPA, uh, Water Balloon Fighters, uh, so had that. Had a bottle of uh, Berlinerish cherry from Celador Ales, and I had a bottle of Beauregard. It's a uh, blueberry sour blonde uh, from the brewery. It was good. It was also a uh, a manageable six percent or so. So not uh, not your typical like aggressive barrel aged uh, sours and stuff, and that filled some of the other parts of my fridge. And that was really it. Uh, so yeah, not much. Oh well. We'll, we'll, we'll get you back. Actually, we'll probably get everybody back next week. I know if you're feeling better, I'm actually headed down to the brewery in Orange County um, on Sunday, so I should have some more, uh, some more things to report. Yeah, I, I definitely had some stuff this weekend. It just wasn't anything uh, exciting. So, yeah, we'll definitely uh, check back in. We almost got blank probably for the first time in the history of this podcast, <laughs> which would have, been, would have been bad. I'm glad you, you saved us with a couple of uh, some monkish stuff. I, I, I do what I can. Um, Dan, one conversation, this is something I might dive into in an article, uh, one conversation I was seeing about going forward on fourth down, um, on Tuesday, David Hale brought it up and mentioned that SU has gone for it more than any other team, gone for it 21 times, that's three more than the nearest team, which I think is UMass, strangely. Um, we've converted, I think, 62% of our tries this year, um, I was going to look and see how many of those subsequent drives by opponents resulted in points or not um just to see if there was any sort of correlation there um versus also how many times did we convert on a fourth down and then proceed to score points one would assume a lot of the time since you're usually doing it inside the opponent's 40 but alas i'll uh, i'll be able to get more on that when i write all this out um dan do you feel like going forward even more on fourth down this year has, has made this offense more interesting or do you think it al- almost add some sort of like ease of failure in a bad way because we're always looking at a four down situation once we get past the 50 um and and that can sometimes lead to wasted plays like a few instances we saw um on saturday i like it overall i mean i i'm always one to uh kind of go with the more aggressive style and and playing it by the numbers which i think going for it on fourth down more than the average coach you're almost always playing into um, what the numbers tell you you should do, uh, because the vast majority of culturable churches are super, super conservative. Um, so I'm into it. I think especially also when you're Syracuse, I think you have to kind of play with, uh, you have to try to play above your means a little bit, especially against teams like uh, coming up and it's Clemson and Florida State and teams that have more talent um, and not waste opportunities and not waste uh, scoring uh, potential on drives that are you know near the end zone, especially when, Obviously, the kicking numbers, I think, are, are better than we let on, but I'm still nervous every time Murphy attempts a field goal. Um, so I'm totally fine with it. There have been a couple spots where I've, I've questioned the decisions, but usually I'm, I'm all in on Babers uh, going for it. And honestly, like, even when I thought it was risky, like, I, I'm fine with just trusting your, his personal process on, on when he decides to go for it. Like, I, I think you have to kind of stick to your guns with some of these things. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not doubting it at all. I... I'm a big fan of fourth down stuff. 
but I did notice a little, and you and I talked about it on Twitter in real time during the game, was that one sequence, and it, granted, it ended up, the one where we, it was like third and seven, and then we just ran it, like, up the gut, knowing we weren't going to gain more than three yards, and it made sense if you were going for it on fourth down, but then they didn't, they went for a field goal, but I, as I mentioned in the play calling article, the one plus there was that we, uh, we ended up having Pitt burn a timeout, which potentially pretty important later in the game. Yeah, that was a weird spot. I was I was like ninety five percent sure we were going for it on fourth, in which case like setting up the slightly easier opportunity made some sense, even though I didn't like the play call on third. Um, so that one definitely confused me. I, I thought that we were we, that was obviously what we were doing, and then seven took the three, and it worked out. We ended up winning the game, but that one that that whole series uh, tied up a me. Yeah. But honestly, like, if it, it, I, I haven't kept track of it, but I feel like Babers is getting people to burn timeouts at a reasonable clip. Like, I feel like it's almost won a game now, and just because we we we, sh- we wait till the last second to bring out a punting unit, bring out a field goal unit, you know, we, we don't really we don't really give we don't really give our hand until about the fifteen second mark, and like, no, it doesn't seem like it in real time, and especially in the first half. It doesn't really matter, but in the second half, like, it is it is a kind of savvy move, especially if you make the field goal after the timeout, that, like, y- you do potentially alter the game later. And, and like I said, we'll never really know if it would have been altered or not, but he did kind of change a little bit of what Narduzzi would have had to work with. Yeah, it ended up working out for that reason. And obviously Pitt, like, not having the timeout at the end of the game um, was huge considering he then had to burn a red shirt for his third string quarterback for no reason to attempt a hail mary that was never going to work. So um, eh, I don't I don't mind that only be, not not because of the act of doing it but because of the fact that um, what's his face Brown's going to be out a couple weeks and if, if if I'm banking on somebody to be the future of the program whether it's Pickett or uh, Danucci I'm probably going with Pickett. Yeah, I think at the time I, I wasn't sure. If, I don't think we knew the extent of Brown's injury. Right. Um, it's still kind of a weird spot because, I don't know, I think if he's going to be your second stringer and, and assuming they're not like married to Danucci, it sounds like they'll probably have played him anyway, then I definitely get it. At the time, it seemed pretty flummoxing. Um, but overall, I, I think it ended up working out in Babers' favor, the, the decision, because it, it forced that timeout. Um, because I, I, I'm sure that uh, Narduzzi, you know, he's watched the film, like, I think he probably thought it was pretty certain that Babers was going to go for it as well. No, 100%. And like it is interesting too, like like a picket it actually like a picket becomes the starter, like in, in short order, then it's fine. I mean, we've we've seen this ourselves where it was, you know, two thousand fifteen and Terrell Hunt gets injured in the first early in the first quarter, and you, me, and everybody else thought that Eric Dungey was redshirting, hundred percent redshirting. And Dungey suddenly like, you know, leaps the pile a little bit gets ahead of a guy like Austin Wilson, who we all just kind of assumed was the next guy up. Um, and then here we are, you know, three years later, and Dungy's well on his way to setting every school pass record for the most part. Like, so you never know. I mean, if Pickett's the, the starter within the next two weeks or so, potentially this all ends up working out for everybody except for Max Brown and Ben DiNucci. Yeah, and there's like always a, there's a, a long-standing debate over, like, if the move is to play your quarterbacks right away, especially at the NFL level now. It's like, do you play the quarterbacks right away, or do you save them on the bench and, and try to develop them from afar? And, and then, obviously, the, the timeline's quite, you know, much faster in college because you try to get the most out of your guys in four years, four or five years. Um, I think at this point in the season with Pitt, like, considering I don't think Pitt's don't really going anywhere. I'm not sure what the rest of their schedule looks like, but what, they're two and four. And, <laughs> and they have they most have, of the ACC left. Yeah, and then even, like, Virginia looks better than they do, and Duke looks better than they do. I think now uh, you, you probably go with the young guy. Um, obviously, with Syracuse a couple of years ago, Dungy was in, what, the, the second drive of the game? Yeah. And we had heard some, like, whispers about Dungy looking pretty good in, in preseason, so it wasn't too shocking that he got the nod at that point when it looked like, you know, Hump might be out for a while. Um, so, yeah, I, I think at this point with Pitt, like, you see what you have um, because the stakes aren't all that high for them, and... And I don't think Narduzzi's coaching for his job or anything. Um, no. But uh, in another one, then, you know, we've, we've seen, like, I remember Red Robinson would burn red shirts at really weird times, not with quarterbacks, but... Um, Just in general. 
yeah, just as a general rule, like he just brought people. He'd like bring players in in game like six in the fourth quarter, and uh, then like play them sporadically. Or with Antoine Bailey, ended up working out to beat Notre Dame because of it. But he burned his redshirt in the Louisville game, and he ended up having a nice game. But it was like, I think it was like mid mid to late October by that point. So yeah, you definitely want to be cautious with it because that fifth year um, can be very valuable. But at the same time, if you have a really good quarterback, like there's a good chance it won't last that long, and and there are obviously a lot of them transfer now, so there there are definitely a lot of more things to take into account now than even there were, you know, six years ago when the transfer market wasn't what it was, and players, you know, still seem to come out a little earlier now, even when there isn't a guarantee of them being a high draft pick. So it, it's an interesting like alchemy in terms of deciding when to play a quarterback or what any player really, but quarterback especially because there's you know such limited snaps for when you have multiple guys in the team. Um, but yeah, overall, like if this ends up being you know, a half-season tryout for, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the player's name. Um, Pickett? Had it up. Yes, for Pickett. Uh, then it ended up working out. I, I still think, like, making his first attempt uh, of Hail right. Mary from the 17-yard line or whatever it was was still a bit strange. But um, it definitely is, is more defensible when he's going to, to play down the stretch here. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, admittedly, just focus back on us, like, We've had, I feel like we had a long history of, of, of strange shirts getting burned in particular. I do feel like the last two years have had some weird shirts getting burned for Babers. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Scherzinger getting his burned in the first game. And I doubt we're going to see him again this year. It was kind of weird. Um, yeah, he hasn't been playing specials really, has no, he? No, I have yet to see him on the field. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not paying as much attention to specials as I am to offense, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't, I haven't seen him. Um, I know last year, I feel like we burned uh, some shirts that I was confused by at the time. Um, I mean, my thing is too, like, if we're not gonna, if we're not going to use Pierre, we're not going to use Scherzinger. It seems difficult to see why we would have burned the shirts early. (laughs) I mean, maybe, maybe Baber sees more in the 2018 backs than them right now. And so potentially we could be looking at a situation where Scherzinger and P- and uh, Pierre redshirt next year, and then the new guys can come right in, and then there's like an actual battle once um, you know I assume Strickland moves to receiver or graduates after next year, and then you know Neil probably moves to receiver well before he graduates, like. I feel like there's also like internal workings that we don't know about from Babers, and and obviously we wouldn't. But yeah, it it is a weird. It's not the weirdest red shirting I've ever seen, but but there are a couple like questions, and we're definitely gonna we're definitely gonna be faced with a little bit of a backlog. I, I know, especially at the running back position next year, based on uh based on what's on the roster and uh, and and who who we ha- who we have and, and who's played already, which is everybody, um, and, and kind of you know where other guys can slot in. Yeah, I mean, we've been facing, like, kind of an uphill battle in that regard for years now. Um, I don't really remember the last time we, we had, like, a, a really fully fleshed-out number situation. Maybe, I think, maybe towards the end of Marone we were getting there, but um, it's been kind of a constant issue. I think, overall, like, there have been some confusing red shirts, but I, I do think it's been better under Babers than even it was under uh, the last couple administrations, so... Um, hopefully we get to a place where, where we don't need to worry about like blowing random people for you know one-off snaps in early season games and never using them again. I, I really don't know what the, the, the situations were earlier this year because those are pretty questionable. But um, I do. Has, he hasn't really. I don't think Baber's really been asked about that, has he? Hopefully uh, someone can. I doubt it. <laughs> and I doubt he'd answer it, even if you did ask him. That's fair. Yeah. You, you, it's hard to get answers. I think everybody, yeah, I think everybody's guys. noticed that with him that like, as good as Babers is, I think he's also like, he and Sean noticed this early on too. Like, Babers understands the media's role, but is never going to bring them in too close. And like, he just he he doesn't play the game if he doesn't want to answer a question. He just he just mows right through it. He's he's way better about being like polite about it. Yeah, and he's not all that confrontational most of the time with the media. But yeah, it's uh. He, he, he doesn't give you a lot. He's, he's good about finding a way to make it seem like he's giving you something, and then you listen back to you, you're like, oh, that was really, that was nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, well, I've noticed, too, like, uh, some of the guys on Twitter, especially, like, the Syracuse.com guys, 
like some national folks are like, oh man, like, you know, Dino Babers is up at the mic, like on teleconference and like Carlson and some of the other guys are like, wait, what? Like, this is literally like, he literally has said nothing for weeks now. <laughs> he's done it like, he's done, done it anecdotes and he's done he it like little stories that have nothing to do with the team. Um, and he gives you interesting stuff there. Uh, not so much with like actual like hard info um, outside of like what he wants to reveal. So I guess he's doing his job well. It's better than uh, I'd say Schaefer was, where he was just very uh, antagonistic, or Marone, who looked like he wanted to just die every single time he spoke to the media, aside from his opening presser. Um, I don't remember enough of Robinson's interactions to weigh in with him, but I don't think it, anything could have mattered. No. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's you know he's still a coach at the end of the day. True. True. Um... So I guess getting back to Clemson specific stuff, um, in today's injury report, not only are Josh Black and Kendall Coleman doubtful, but uh, Shaq Grosvenor is also doubtful. I don't know where that even came from because I didn't remember him getting injured at all. Uh, that's not good because we already had like zero depth on the defensive line and now we have even less. Um, the good thing is that Jake Picard is probable. Um, I don't know how effective uh, defensive end who hasn't played in over a year is going to be in his first game back against a team like Clemson, but um, it's very likely that we see Picard uh, quite a bit, uh, again, given the depth issues. Um, on the other side of things, Kelly Bryant will play. Um, I think he'll be fine from a throwing perspective, but I am very curious, Dan, um, about how mobile he's actually going to be able to be uh, compared to what he usually does. And he's, he's run for even more yards than Dungy has at, at this juncture. That's his, his, uh, his game is running the ball. He's a, a decent thrower, but overall, like he's going to beat with his legs and he's not super, super accurate. Um, so while they're, they're, it, they're definitely better off having him, especially because the guys behind him are not very experienced. Basically the options were Eric Cooper, who, has had some cups of water here and there, but not any like extended playing time. And then Hunter Johnson, who uh, played a lot of the, the Wake Forest game after um, after Bryant went out, and he threw for his first touchdown. He's a Johnson would worry a, me though. Like I, I even though like Syracuse can't stop mobile, still can't stop mobile quarterbacks. We saw that against Danushi last week. <laughs> like we still don't know how to defend them. So, like, if Bryant's 100% healthy, like, I'm worried about that. But I'm, I'd be much more worried from a throwing perspective. Like, I saw Hunter Johnson throw at Elite, eight, uh, Elite 11 last year. And, like, I've seen what he did even in limited time against Wake. Like, he's a five-star quarterback and the type of guy who is who could shred this defense and make them look like, you know, the last few years' secondaries. Yeah, I mean, he was the number one quarterback in the country for a reason. So, um but, you know, I think you take your, your chances with the guy making his first start, not that he doesn't have the tools to, to beat us. Um, but overall, I think they'll probably be very happy to have Bryant back because he's looked quite good, especially following up a guy like Watson. Um, he doesn't make a ton of huge mistakes. He, he gets first downs, and he, you know, he gets the ball into the uh, hands of Clemson's playmakers who are, you know, numerous and deadly. And yet their numbers aren't that great. I think that's largely because they've just put teams away on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I was just looking, like, doing some research earlier today, just to, like, see, like, I mean, I, I know the names and, like, guys like Deion Kane and stuff like that, like, but you're not seeing the gaudy numbers that maybe people were used to. I think, like, Clemson's actually come off in recent years. Like, since Chad Morris left, the offense still has pace, the offense still has explosiveness, but you're not seeing, like, the gaudy individual numbers for these guys that you were seeing under Morris. Yeah, I think some of that is that they, they really do like kind of park the bus, for lack of a better term, uh, when they get up big, um, because the defense just clamps down on people, and, and Clemson does kind of takes the gas off a little bit earlier than some other teams. They're not like Alabama, who seems determined to store 60 on every uh, like lesser SEC team that, that it can, even though I don't, I don't really know what it's trying to get back at them for. Uh, existing, I would, I would assume. Um, there's that option, the option that... Uh that Nick Saban wishes people would stop hiring his assistants. Uh, that would be another potential, uh, potential thing he's looking for retribution for. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure Nick Saban does not like having to hire new people. So <laughs> it, it's probably that, that, that he's just so angry that now he has to go hire new people, um, that he just, he just gets really, really pissed off. 
and uh, and everyone's got to pay for it. Ken Saban just hates talking to people, and well, whether or not it's, it's other coaches that <laughs> might have to join his staff. Like he just he just resents human contact, and I guess uh, I guess that's that's where this stems from. Like you said, just why would you make him you know interview a new linebacker coach? <laughs> Although oddly, he has he looks like he really enjoys himself. Like when they put him in the like, like when he's in like a studio segment, or like when they bring him in like during a big game, like for like a halftime show. Like he he seems like he loves that shit. Yeah, in that case, like he's doing a little something a little different. Uh, I just think he hates like having to answer questions mid game and yeah. and the press conferences. I he might secretly actually like kind of enjoy being so antagonistic uh, at like the press conferences, but. I don't know. He just, uh, he's an interesting one. He, he's, <laughs> he's just so, like, he just so so little emotion, even compared to, like, Bayheim was kind of the same shtick, but Bayheim just looks exhausted. Saban, Saban's just so stone-faced all the time, it's kind of remarkable. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't think anyone will ever figure him out. Um, before we finish up, one other thing, because I know we talked about the Clemson offense a little bit, um, on defense... There's a lot of players we could be concerned about. Is there one more than the others that you are you are very very concerned about? Um, I'd say Kane is probably the uh, obvious answer, just because he's been there for a while and he's you know a proven playmaker. Um, I, this uh, the Trav- is it Travis Etienne, the young running back who is starting to kind of make a dent on this offense. Um, it's not like the go-to running back quite yet, but uh, actually he's. All right, no, Feaster's still out snapping him or out touching him, but he has uh, 378 yards on 46 carries. He's just behind Bryant in terms of actual rushing yards. He scored five times. A lot of those have been late in games, but he's just an absolute burner in open field. Um, he's, he's a, I think he's a true freshman. Um, he's just one of those guys that it's like a total mismatch once he gets to the second level, so he's pretty scary. Uh, but then, you know, the receivers are just, they, they have a really solid core. Like, none of the guys are, like you said, they're not killing it stat-wise, but McLeod, uh, Ray uh, Ray McLeod, Hunter Renfro, the, you know, Alabama killer, and Deion Kane all having nice years, uh, and they can all take the top off of defense. Renfro is just really annoying because he converts first downs at, like, a stupid rate. Um, well, look forward to seeing him on the Patriots next year. Oh, God, yeah. He's built. <laughs> built to fill that role. Um... So yeah, they just have they can spread the ball around a lot. They have uh, uh, an improving running game, um, and it's weird to say that because they're averaging over five yards a carry, um, and like a competent passing game that that can probably rise to the occasion. It just hasn't really had to yet. Um, so I'm not really looking forward to this matchup. I think their offense is plenty good to score some points on the Syracuse team. Yeah, I agree. If there's any player in the offense that's going to beat us, I think it's going to be Kane. Um, you know, he's he's really their deep threat. Um, obviously SU has some trouble at least once or twice a game um, connecting because Pitt sucks. They couldn't connect deep the couple of opportunities they have. We also had some really nice plays made by uh, Scoop Bradshaw and Chris Frederick, but um, I, I would expect one or two deep balls to, to go the other way, unfortunately. Um, on the other side, uh, there's a lot of players to get worried about. I would be most worried about Austin Bryant at defensive end probably. Um, and then obviously Kendall Joseph's a big name and the type of guy who is incredibly disruptive. But Brian scares me the most if only because he, he doesn't just create havoc in the pass game with five sacks, but he gets 11 and a half tackles for loss. Um, definitely just a horrifying uh, player to have to guard against, especially for our uh, line, which has not really proven it can do much well. I mean, it definitely got better in the second half last week, but... Uh, Jamar McGloster, unfortunately, is not going to be your go-to guy against a top pass rusher. Um, they'll probably, like, even if they, they'll probably find ways to exploit that, whether it's uh, with Bryant or somebody else. Um, Cody Conway's our best offensive lineman right now, but he also does make some mistakes here and there. That comes with youth. Um, and he's not even that young, but in general, it comes with youth. Um so I, I do feel like we're going to be susceptible here. I hope we don't end up being victims of like you know seven or eight sacks plus like uh, like some teams seem to be against Clemson. Yeah, I'm worried about their internal defensive line. Uh, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence are probably the best defensive tackle combo in a long time. Wilkins plays a, a little more all over the place, but uh, Lawrence like stuffs the middle. Um, they're both really nasty. 
Um, and they both, especially Wilkins, can kind of get out to the, the passer more than your average interior lineman. Um, I don't think that they're going to have any problem stuffing Syracuse run game. They do that to everyone. But the fact that they're going to render us uh, completely one-dimensional, even more so than most teams are able to just by default, um, means I'm a little bit worried that we're going to see a lot of Dungy having to escape the pocket really quickly because you have guys like Wilkins and Lawrence coming uh, free of, from the middle. And when you when you start an interior pass rush like that, it makes it very, very difficult to, to uh, cope with uh, a defensive line. Yeah, I mean, we saw a little bit last week, to be honest, like the moments when Pitt actually got a push. Um, there were some gaping holes in the middle of that line. Obviously, you know, like guys like, you know, Evan Adams and uh, Servais and some of the other guys that, we, that we've used to, to plug, you know, the middle of that line. Like, it's just... It's not going to be enough against Clemson, so that probably means, you know, and we did this against LSU, um, pulling in an extra blocker. So whether that's Strickland or Elmore or Ravian Pierce, like there's probably going to be an extra blocker in there that probably limits what Eric Dungy can do in the backfield as far as, you know, movement, because then you have to rely on the blocker to really move with you and get out of your way. And Dungy's not someone to really wait for, uh, for anybody to do that. Um, he's just someone who's going to be able to take off. I mean, at the same time, like NC State applied a ton of pressure on us, um, but it was the early pressure that really got to us, not the later pressure. Um, Dungy was able to kind of exploit some of that later pressure, and he did it against Pitt as well. Um, I'd say NC State is the more comparable team here, obviously, than, than Pitt is on that front uh, with regard to Clemson. But I think... If SU wants to go one-dimensional, I think they'll find some success. I just don't think it's going to be enough to win. Yeah, ultimately, like, they have one of the best defenses, maybe the best defense in the country. Uh, Venable's an awesome coordinator. Like, I just don't think uh, a team with the inability to get any kind of run game um, is going to put much of a, you know, a dent in this tons of defense. I think maybe we'll, we'll steal a touchdown late, and, and we'll probably not going to shut out um, because we do have some ability here. But uh, overall, I, I don't think that we're ever going to really threaten Fair enough. Uh, Dan, give me a final score. Uh, I'm going to go, uh, I'll do 38-14. All right. I'm going to go 31-17 Clemson. Though Syracuse would cover. Yeah, I think I would be just, what is it, 22 points spread still. So, yeah, I'd be a a little outside, a little outside the, the, the cover there margin. SU is 3-1-1 against the spread this year, the one loss being Middle Tennessee. Uh, They've covered uh, sizable margins against LSU and NC State. Um, I do have some faith, and even Clemson fans that I've talked to seem to have some some faith that SU is going to be able to cover um, in this one just because of Clemson's habit of just kind of coasting through the second half uh, because the game's already won. So... Yeah, I think the, uh, the the one saving grace there, if you're looking for SU to keep this one close, is we've played them close at the Dome. I think last time we played them at the Dome, it was one of the weird um, yeah. Honey games. But also, I feel like Clemson's had the spot in BC on the Friday night the last couple times on the road, and it always gets they, weird. Don't, they don't always come out uh, firing on Friday nights on the road. Um, it's a weird spot, and Syracuse has played well in that spot occasionally, so... Yeah, used to uh, used to at least once a season. The the Friday night yeah. at the Dome was definitely a thing during Maroon. Yes, the West Virginia game, uh, the USF game, more, the USF game, the UConn so, game. Yeah, if you want to play into like weird time, weird day, uh, lack of motivation for Clemson, which is kind of rolling along, then I, I think on paper Clemson should be able to cover. I think the external things probably favor Syracuse keeping it a little closer. Um, which is all to say that, like, I could see this going in, in any of these possible directions. <laughs> I don't think Syracuse will uh, keep this one within a touchdown, but if you told me they only lost by two touchdowns and Clemson looked really sloppy, I would, I would believe you. As would I. <laughs> all right. Uh, Dan, is there anything else you wanted to add before we uh, kind of sign off for the week? Nope. Hopefully uh, hopefully we have a, a fun game to watch and, and we can kind of get on people's radars, even if – you know, being on Friday night on ESPN, like, even if uh, Syracuse doesn't win, like, looking competitive to, you know, raise a couple eyebrows here and there. Not, not enough to, to then don't lose your next three games, but if we could keep this one close and then, you know, maybe look good against Miami. I think it's Miami the week after, right? Yeah. We have Miami or Florida State. Yeah, then maybe we can start to down some radars here. Um, but obviously winning does a lot more than that. I just, I'm not going to uh, foist, like, 
crazy expectations here. So hopefully we get a good performance and and uh, look like we belong in the same field, which is not always the case when we play these kinds of games. Too true. Uh, I would echo all of those thoughts. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, wherever else you listen to podcasts, and uh, go orange. Go orange. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.